0: Welcome to the Parenting Well podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you're listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising healthy, happy youth is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information, tools, and strategies. This leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered. To support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. So let's fill that well. <clears throat> Today's well source is Meredith Ethington. Meredith is an award winning writer and published author of The Mother Load, just released this last April, after her debut parenting book, Mom Life Perfection Pending, in 2018. She is also the mom of three kids residing in Salt Lake City, Utah. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology and is pursuing a master's in clinical mental health counseling. She began writing in 2007 as a way to document life as a new mom, but quickly realized that she had a passion for writing and has turned it into her career. She believes it's important for moms to share the real honest truth about motherhood so that moms can feel like it's okay if they have a bad day. So welcome, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to talk about your book. It is so great. Everybody listening needs to tune in and check out this book. Um, So as a mother of two children myself and a new grandmother of twins, I think it sends a really important message to us as parents that life is messy, parenting is messy, and there's not really one good way to be a parent. So what do you think, if you were to say, what's the biggest thing that you hope moms get from reading this book?
1: I think for me, part of, part of why I write in general is just to kind of encourage moms to trust their gut, trust their intuition, um, because there's so much out there that we can pull from and read and opinions from other people. And so oftentimes we get a little confused and overwhelmed with all the information that's out there today for moms. And so I just think learning to trust that you're the best mom for your kids and that you're not going to do it perfectly all the time but trusting yourself is the biggest part of the whole process.
0: I love that. Yeah, I mean we talk a lot about this whole idea of perfection in parenting at Penn um because I think that we get tied up in it, right? Because we want to do a good job. We want our kids to be healthy and happy. But it's not going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes and those mistakes turn into opportunities for them to learn, to actually be able to face the challenges they're going to face in the world better. So just such an important message for us to have for our kids. And I think when we practice not being perfect, then they see that it's okay for them not to be perfect too.
1: Absolutely. I mean, what better thing to model for our kids than it's okay to make mistakes and apologize for them and grow and move on, right?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, So related to what you're talking about, you have a chapter in your book called Society's Little Lies. Um, I loved it. And I wondered if you could share with us you know, what are your thoughts on how do we really break free? You mentioned having intuition and trusting your gut, but what are some of the other strategies um, for moms to break free of those expectations, judgments, things that we hear all the time?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that we all come into parenting with some expectations that are maybe a little bit unrealistic, right? I think we, whether it's expectations from society or also just expectations of ourselves as a parent. Like my, my big thing growing up was, um, you know, I'm going to be a mom that doesn't yell at her kids. <laughs> that was my, like, that would be what a good mom is. That was my standard, I guess.
0: And <laughs> yeah. It's
1: funny because you don't really realize how children are going to push your buttons in a tailor made way just for you because they share part of your DNA. Right. And so you don't, you don't really realize how, um, overwhelming the process is going to be and how, um, frustrating it can be at times. And so you're going to yell, it's going to happen. Right. But I thought that if I did that, I was just this big failure when I was a new mom. So I think we have to kind of dissect a little bit or reflect on who's putting this expectation on me. Is it myself or is there someone else? And what standard am I trying to fulfill here? Because I think, especially with moms today who are so plugged in to social media, it's so easy to look at another mom and what she's doing and go, wow, why, why don't I, you know, pack my kids lunches every day and make, cute little animals out of their sandwiches and write in a sweet love note in it every day. All I can do is throw some chips in the bag, right? Um, so I think we have to be careful not to compare our insecurities and our um, mistakes and failures to someone else's best day that they're showcasing on social media. So I think part yeah. of that is just awareness, being aware of what we're taking in and how we're internalizing it. And where are those feelings of inadequacy coming from? Now, granted, I didn't do that when I was a new mom, (laughs) you know, I, I reflected inward and thought it was all my fault and that I was failing and that I was screwing everything up. Um, and granted, I've done a lot of therapy since then. So I've learned (laughs) some of these skills, but I think, um, just really paying attention to, that voice inside your head that tells you you're not good enough. Where is that voice coming from? Is it coming from a childhood wound? Is it coming from another mom you see on social media that you follow that makes you maybe not feel that good about yourself? Things like that.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think just what you're saying about parenting is so hard. And I think when we can step into being real about some of that, when we can really share um, the things that we've had challenges with, I think we find out that maybe other people are experiencing some of those things as well, and it normalizes it and and makes people feel more comfortable being themselves. And I know you talk about that in your book as well, like just how important it is to be real. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that, when I read that, I felt like, yeah, because when you're real around someone, you feel like when someone's real around you, you feel like you can like really actually share what's happening for you. And the best way for me, when I was parenting um, my kids, when they were younger, I felt like one of the most supportive things for me was being able to hear from other parents. What did they do? How did it work for them? What should I not do? And just trying everything until I figured out what was going to really work. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Totally. And I think creating a circle of people around you that can give you that advice from a place of non-judgment. You know, I think so often, so often I think we just really want to be heard And um, the advice and all of that is so great to kind of give us a jumping off point, but at the end of the day, we're going to know our kids best and our family dynamic best and ourselves best to know like, okay, this piece of advice works for me. And this piece of advice doesn't. And I think you really have to surround yourself with people who are real and authentic. One of the things that I have really seen as I've written online is that people are really struggling with finding friendships and they're really struggling with feeling like they don't have that circle of people. And so I think that's kind of kind of the nature of what it's like to live in an online world right now. Mm-hmm. That's part of it, I think. But I think everyone's person is out there just like, you know, I I think your people that will love you for who you are out there. You just have to, that's why I talk so much about being real and authentic because you, you can't really find those people unless you're putting that out into the world yourself. Right. Once You do that. You're going to build this support network of people who are going to support you and not judge you and be the person you can go to when you're having a really hard day with your kids.
0: It was mentioned that People are finding it hard to have friendships now. Do you think that that's, you mentioned online world. Do you think that that's really been different just since COVID or do you think it's just changing as we become more of a technology society? What what do you think is happening there?
1: I, I think there's probably a lot of factors that play into it. I do think COVID kind of forced us into being more kind of like isolated and in our own little bubble, right? Um, and I think maybe some of us are finding it harder to break out of that than others. So I definitely think that people are suffering for that reason. I do think that because we spend so much time online, we often forget how valuable those in-person connections can be. Um, I can give an example because I'm in grad school right now. Um, I'm doing an online program, which I love because I, you know, it, it just provides me flexibility and stuff, but. Um, we had this week internship where I had to fly out to the school where I'm, um, the school that I'm getting my degree from. And we had to spend a week long intensive together in this. And we were literally like 12 women in this classroom, all of us getting ready to become therapists, right. And practicing therapy on each other all day long for like five days straight. And it was so intense. But the bond that we formed in that five days, like, I know that these women will be people that I keep in contact with for the rest of my life. So I do think we kind of undervalue those in-person interactions and even a conversation like this, where we can, it doesn't have to be, you know, a podcast, but pick up the phone and call a friend. We kind of forget to do that these days.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I've taught classes like that, where I've had mostly online, and I can say the same thing. Like one of the requirements was a, an intensive weekend on the front end of the class and an intensive weekend on the latter end, and it was so much easier to connect with what they actually needed for from me as a student when I had had that opportunity to actually meet them and interact with them. So I think you're you're really spot on when you say that. Um, what do you think is happening with our kids? I know this is slightly different than parenting, but I think as a parent, one of the challenges is making sure that you, ha- that your children have good friends and that they're hanging out with people that are going to be a good influence on them. Um, and that you're teaching your kids how to be a good influence on their friends as well, you know, because peers go both ways, peer yeah. pressure and influence goes both ways. How do you think this has changed what's happening for our children when it comes to friendships?
1: Yeah, I really saw a lot. I remember, I mean, I feel like COVID and the pandemic just shined a bright spotlight on this about how important it is for children, especially to have these in-person interactions, because I saw a, you know, I had three kids in three different schools at the time, which was hairy in and of itself to try to juggle, you know, as a work from home mom and help them all with their schoolwork. It was a nightmare. But what I saw that was affecting them the most was just, especially in those beginning weeks where we were on lockdown, them not being able to see those friends was just draining the life out of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's, it was hard enough before that with, you know, fighting the social media that our kids just want to text all the time and maybe not get together in person. And I do worry about that a lot. You know, I have teenagers now and, um they don't have social media we've been able to avoid that for them but um you know i do see the difference in how their peers interact and don't interact in different ways than when mm-hmm. i was growing up and i do think it has an impact um i think time will tell on a lot of yeah. it you know especially how covid affected them but i can say my daughter's first year of high school she was masked every day and well, she was online initially, and then they went back and wearing masks. It just changed the di- the dynamic for those kids.
0: Yeah, and I think, yeah. I
1: think there will be long lasting impacts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're already seeing some of the data coming through the CDC saying that yeah. our children are more depressed and yep. really struggling. So, yeah. you know, from that counseling perspective, we have some work to do there to support them and to help them help them get through this it's such a unique thing for them to experience (laughs) absolutely Um, so you know one of the other things I really liked about your book was your conversation around self-care because Mm -hmm. I think we hear it a lot and I think it it almost becomes complacent like oh you know you need to do better self-care and I'm a big believer that self-care is so much more than just taking a nap or hopping in the bubble bath that it's there's a lot of different factors. So I'm wondering what we, what you would share with our audience about, you know, what are some tips that are, that our moms out there that can do to just really take care of themselves um, in a unique way?
1: Yeah. I think that um, this was kind of a light bulb moment for me when I started kind of reflecting on what my own self-care was. I was horrible at self-care as a new mom. Um, I didn't want anyone to take care of the baby for me. And that was kind of my anxiety i think i had some postpartum anxiety and depression going mm. on um and coupled with kind of a type a personality that wanted to control everything i mean e- even letting my husband give me a break was hard for me you know and it was his child too right so um you know my focus on self-care has definitely shifted over the years since i've been a parent and what i've noticed is that If I don't make it intentional and something that truly is just to refuel me, um, that I can't really count that as self-care because it doesn't do much for me. And the example I give is like, you know, let's say there's a mom that goes to Target and she gets an hour at Target and she has her cup of coffee and she's listening to something in her ear and strolling up and down looking at throw pillows and in this state of bliss, right, for a moment. And she might be tempted to say like, this is myself. this is my me time, right? But then slowly though, that to-do list is going to creep in when she passes the toothpaste aisle and remembers her family is out of toothpaste or whatever. And then before you know it, her her whole basket is overflowing with things for her family that she's gone through her mental list that she has to t- carry, right? And I, I think we can't count that as self-care when we're multitasking things for the entire family. So I really do think that it has to be intentional and it has to be something that makes us feel alive because we are so mm-hmm. much more than moms. we we are moms, you know, for this relative I mean, we're moms forever once we have kids, right? But you have them in your home and they're your sole focus for a relatively short amount of time. And you were a a different person before them. And you're going to be, you know, on your own again when they move out. So you've got to find things that fuel you right. And make you feel whole and complete and at peace
0: or Mm -hmm. whatever.
1: And I just think that it's still an ongoing process for me to learn kind of what that is for me. But I think if you can just make yourself a list of like, what makes me feel excited? What makes me feel alive outside of you know, taking care of my children and my family. And those are the kind of things we need to hone in on for self-care and maybe like showers. Everybody deserves a hot shower, right? I know when you're a new mom, it's hard to come by sometimes, but I think we, um, underestimate our needs and kind of sell ourselves short a little bit by not really doing the things that are going to refuel and rejuvenate us.
0: Yeah, that's great.
1: Good advice. And I think part of it too is like,
0: I think of self-care as like how I talk to myself as well. Like, what am I actually saying to myself? Um, because just being gentle with yourself and and giving yourself compliments for the things you're doing well can, I think, boost, boost self-care.
1: Amazing advice, because I am not great at that. And it's something that I have, I'm trying to implement right now is to just be kinder to myself. And I think moms are, we're very, very judgmental of ourselves and letting go of that a little bit is a great way to find peace and more joy in parenting for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One of the things that I thought would be fun for
0: you to share is what's the funniest thing you've heard someone say to you? Like, what are the things that you've, cause you've interacted with parents so often, like what's a fun story that you would share that someone has shared with you?
1: Well, the kind of the first one that came to mind, um, was this neighbor of mine and I just love her to death because she, she is one of those people that kind of just puts it all out there and is real and, you know, doesn't sugarcoat anything. And I, those are my kind of people, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to do the small talk at all with anybody ever. I want to get right down into like what's bugging you today. And so I always struggle with that question of like, how are you? or how's it going or how's your day going? That might be that typical chit chat banter that we have in the grocery store line or whatever. Um, but this one friend, she was out on a walk one day and I was, I think, in my front yard doing yard work and I was like, Hey, how are you? And she was like, Well not that great. I just went to therapy today and I feel like I'm having a total nervous breakdown or something like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I went to therapy today too. And we sat there and we like (laughs) had this moment where we both just kind of like, you know, bore our souls and said like, you know, here's my struggle, here's her struggle. And then literally she had to keep walking because she was following toddlers around the corner And we high-fived each other and we're like, yay for therapy. And we kind of just laughed (laughs) and then we parted ways. And it was just this beautiful little real interaction where we both were able to just kind of come together for a minute and say, yeah, this really sucks. Yeah, it sucks for me too. And then kind of give each other a little bit of a boost of encouragement and move on. And that's not necessarily the funniest story in the world, but it's just an example of how we can be kind of real and authentic in our lives. I, I've been guilty. My husband knows I'm an oversharer, and, you know, I've been guilty of check out the cashier in line at the store saying, how's your day going? And being like, you know what? Not that great, but thanks. (laughs) So I think just if we can have some more authentic and real conversations with just everyday people, but also people that are are really close to us. And in our close circles, we're just going to live a more authentic life and make deeper, more meaningful connections.
0: Yeah. I love that. And that's, you know, one of the things that they say contributes to longevity, right? Being in community and having deep, real relationships with people. So it's a, it's a lifelong pursuit, I think.
1: Absolutely. Because I, friends come and go and, and relationships change and, You're always. I think you're always going to be looking for your people, right? Yeah. In all circles of life. So, yeah.
0: Hundred percent. I love it. Um. So while we're talking about that, um, you know, you're you have a pretty big focus on mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, it's part of your career. It's it's what you write about. Um, and we we have a bit of a mental health crisis in our country. Like we just don't. Are you know we don't pay for mental health services like we do physical health services. There's a lot of aspects to it, but right. What would you say are some components or some strategies, things that people can do just in the way they live their day-to-day life to, to support and boost mental health, both for themselves and for their children?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, my big shtick is authenticity and being real as we've already talked about, but I also think just um, making it a priority to just be cognizant of your mental well being. I think we live in this world that is just like super fast paced, go, 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 especially for moms who are trying to check off all the lists and get everybody to where they're supposed to be, right? It's just a nonstop mm-hmm. mental load. And I think being um, just kind of aware that that's going on in our brains and being able to like talk about those emotions. Um, for me, writing has been my outlet and I've been able to kind of write these hard, difficult things and put them out into the world and release them in a way that's not for everybody, but I think finding an outlet for those feelings and being able, number one, to give yourself permission to feel them because it's okay to feel some of these things that society tells us are negative, like anger or sadness, um, And then be able to talk to somebody about them. And maybe we do have a mental health care crisis and it is hard. It's not accessible to everyone. And that makes it difficult. But I will say there is so much, there's so much out there online and so many resources available, things like podcasts, things like, you know, therapists have social media accounts where they're giving amazing tips um i think reading books like there are resources out there for the person that is struggling you know i'm not a proponent if you're in crisis of just trying to do it on your own right? right um there are there's always a time when we need professional help and but i do think that there's such a gift out there in the world of information that can help us to kind of just be more aware of what's going on in our minds and that i love the idea of self talk and just you know, focusing on being nicer to ourselves yeah. is a great way to boost mental health. And, you know, my mom always used to say like, fake it till you make it. And I'm not one to fake anything. However, I think there is power in, in the positive self-talk and telling ourselves like, you are good. You are enough. You're doing the best you can. Those kinds of things too.
0: Yeah, Totally. Have you ever done that thing? My my daughter and I used to do this all the time where, um, if one of us was in a bad mood, we would fake laugh. Like literally, even though we didn't feel like laughing, we would just laugh and laugh and laugh. And then pretty soon the two of us would just be sitting there truly laughing, like gut truly laughing,
1: laughing. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there's that side of, of mental health where it's kind of the day-to-day struggles and you can do some things, you know, self-talk and kind of faking it till you make it. And some of the little things that we can add, um, then there are those times where you said, like you said, someone needs more services. And mm-hmm. um, in my background, you know, I've, I've my whole background is human development, family studies. And so a lot of that is focused on what's normal, what's not, not normal, and how do you know when it's not normal? Right. Um, and so I'm wondering if you have any strategies to share with people, like, what do you pay attention to, to know the differentiation between this is just a bad moment or a bad day
1: versus
0: this is something that I need to tune in on and I need to help my child differently.
1: Yeah. When, when I became um, a new mom, I had postpartum depression, but I didn't know I had postpartum depression because I was so focused on the baby and taking care of her. And then, um, and what hap- what was happening with me is that I was crying every day and my husband was in um, graduate school at the time. And so he would leave for the entire day. And here I was with this brand new baby and, just weepy and just everything was just heightened emotions. Right. And I remember when the hormones kind of settled and I came out of that, I remember vividly the first day I didn't cry and I went, Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't cry today. Wait a minute. Why am I crying every day? And it was kind of like, something clicked that something was going on. And I was able to kind of go, yeah, I think I had postpartum depression. And I come from a family where, you know, mental illness runs in my family. So I was aware of what depression is and that postpartum depression is a thing. It's not like I didn't know what it was, but I think, um, we do have to be careful that we don't just try to white knuckle our way through some mental health problems, because when something is prolonged, or severe, obviously, you know, severe enough, if you're feeling like harming yourself is a huge red flag, that's the obvious one. But I would say when you don't feel like yourself for multiple weeks, days, months in a row, Mm. that's a big indicator that you need to go get help. And the other piece of advice I would give is like, check in with someone that's really close with you Mm. and say to them, I'm not quite feeling like myself and I don't know if it's just because of my stress or if something else is going on. I have done that with my husband and every single time he's like, yeah, I've noticed it too. I think, yeah, maybe you should switch your meds or maybe you should go see someone. He's been able to kind of be my person that I check in with. Mm -hmm. He sees me every day and he knows when things are off enough that I need to seek help. So I think everybody has, somebody in their circle that they can maybe check in with and say, I don't feel like myself. What do you think? Are you observing anything? And then um, I just would say, even going to your primary care provider and saying, I feel a little off so that someone else helps you be accountable for how you're feeling and helps you figure it out. Because I don't think any of us are supposed to white knuckle our way through a mental health crisis and when you're suffering from true depression or an anxiety disorder or any other mental illness, um, there is no shame in getting help and and just mentioning to someone, "Hey, I don't I don't feel right. This doesn't feel right to me."
0: Yeah, yeah. I like that you just brought up shame because I think that's a huge part of it. Is if we have a dialogue in our home or in our friend groups where. Mm-hmm that exists where shame is used to, to talk about things or manipulate situations. I think it really has an impact on how comfortable we are being vulnerable and saying that, that something's not working for us. Um, and for our kids, like certainly seeing, seeing you do that gives them the opportunity to say, Oh, it's everybody has, has times, right? We go through waves of life where things are harder or we do um, a, a specific event that maybe has an impact on us, whatever it is um, that it's okay. And there's no shame in asking for help. is a pretty important thing.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Especially I think for like my parents, um, we had mental illness in my family and nobody talked about it. And so that's the kind of unsaid shame around mental yeah. health is nobody's talking about it. So you just learn that, Oh, this is something we don't talk about. Right. And I think being, just being aware of that and having conversations with your children about mental health and their emotions and having a bad day and what that looks like, all of that is so healthy and so good and works so Mm -hmm. well, to kind of take away that shame around it.
0: Yeah. And those regular check-ins and asking those questions that are a little more like coaching questions. I think, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, we parent
0: the way we were parented or, (laughs) or from the things we've learned throughout our life. Right. And I think that generationally there's been such a shift mm-hmm. um, from just do it. Cause I said, do it to like being a more of a coach as a parent and, and being yeah. able to dig in and explore, like, what was that like for you? You know, how did that make you feel? And it goes back to what you were saying about the first thing you have to do is be able to recognize and be aware of yourself and how you're feeling in the moment. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: So one of the things I love to ask every person I interview is how do you think parents need to show up for their children?
1: Mm. I would say being intentional again with time to connect. And I think that feels overwhelming to modern parents because we have this idea that we have to plan a yes day. I know that's a real like popular thing right now. Let's have a yes day where i never say no to my child. And it has to be, or it has to be a trip to Disneyland to really connect and have that family time. I really think it's more about the little moments in the everyday life. Um, putting your phone down and making eye contact as simple as that seems. It's a real struggle for a lot of modern parents. It's a struggle for me sometimes. Um, and I think you, if you can just show up when a kid Especially with, now that my kids are teenagers, when they appear in my room for no known reason, I think, wait a minute, like they're here for a reason, whether they're going to say it or not. Right. So I think just being able to show up for your kids in those day to day moments, um, connect in little ways. Maybe it's just turning off the radio in the car and just letting it be silent so they know you're there and available. Um, or maybe it's just 10 minutes at the end of the day to let the toddler ask all the questions they want to ask before bed. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Um, I think for me, that's how I try to show up for my kids. I do try to say, I'm sorry. Mm. And, um, I do, we do lots of hugs in my house too. So those are the ways I love the idea of an eight second hug. I don't know if you have heard that, but, um, there was an influencer, he unfortunately has passed away that was real big on connection with your kids. And he talked a lot about how science has shown that eight second hugs is when your heart rate starts to slow down and you really like start to connect with the other person Mm
0: -hmm. and how
1: important that is to give your kids eight second hugs.
0: And so
1: I I talked to my kids about that and I've actually counted with them and said, let's have an eight second hug. So, um, I think there's something to that as well. That physical touch is also really important for parenting.
0: Oh, that's awesome. What a I great, to
1: go give easy. my teenager an eight second hug. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>
0: Sometimes you have to do the eight second hugs when you don't really feel like doing the eight second exactly. hugs, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I would love it. Well, what else would you like to share with our audience before we kind of close up today?
1: yeah, I guess, um, you know, I wrote this book so that number one, parents can feel less alone. Number two, we can have more awareness around what we're taking in through social media and society and how we're internalizing that. And for so we can ha- just break down the stigma of mental illness and parenting. I think, um it's it's a lot to parent with depression or anxiety. Parenting is hard. Without that, but then when you add that into the mix, um, it adds another level of just um, feeling like you're not good enough as a parent. And I I hope that that's what my book will provide for people is just that kind of like comfort that it's okay that Mm -hmm. there are ways to connect with your kids to love your kids. And really, they just want you to show up for them, like you're saying, in a way that's authentic. And if that means that, you know, you're in a bout of depression and you spend the week on your couch with your kids watching, I don't even know what the latest toddler show is that everybody watches because I'm out of that stage, but watching TV or movies with them for the day, that that's okay. Okay what kids need is they need to know you're there for them and that they're loved and that they're safe. And I think most parents are providing that for their kids. And so if we can just kind of recognize that we're doing a good job, doesn't have to be perfect. And that um, it's okay to say we're sorry as parents, then I think we're doing okay. And that's the message I hope people take away.
0: That's awesome. So everybody needs to pick up her book. It's great.
1: Um, And I'd also
0: love for you to share a little bit about how people can get in touch with you. Um, Of course, I spied around on your social media accounts and looked at what (laughs) you do. And I saw you have a pretty good Instagram following and um, you share some great stuff there. So um, if you could just kind of give a shout to the different places people can find you and the resources that you have available, that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah. So if you Google Meredith Ethington, I'm pretty much everywhere in annoying way. Um, (laughs) I've been around a long time. My, my website is called perfectionpending.net and um, I am online on all social media platforms, either as perfection pending or perfect pending. I'm very active on Instagram and Facebook. So those are the kind of the best two platforms to reach out to me or whatever. I love hearing from people that have read something I wrote, whether it's the, from the book or somewhere else and connecting with my followers, because that's why I went into this in the first place is to try to help build community and help moms feel less alone. So.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And I'll put those in the show notes for the podcast as well. Um, and we'll be sharing things out on our parent engagement network, Instagram account too. So we'll tag you. (laughs) Hey, sounds awesome. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, before we go, I do want to give a shout out to some of our sponsors, um, Sartell Bliss Homes, the Hope Coalition of Boulder County, and Zia Consulting. Thank you so much for your generous support. Um, as you know, as a nonprofit, uh, we couldn't do what we do without you. So thank you. Um, and please go on to our website. It's www.penbv.org. Uh, on that website, you can see what kind of events we have coming up. We have some resources, And of course, we have the opportunity there for you to either volunteer or become a sponsor, make a donation or become a monthly donor. So if you were inspired by today's conversation, um, follow our podcast and have have been able to really get some good pieces of gold. I like to say flakes of gold from the wonderful things that our listeners like Meredith share. Um, Please hop on there and get active and let us know how we can support you. So, um, So thanks again for being here with us today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Of course and and
0: thank you to all of our listeners and until next time happy parenting